Underwriting for Auto Line this week is provided by Auto Line is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco, pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at Deloitte.com backslash US backslash automotive. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the discussion is all going to be about the medium truck segment in the U.S. market. I've got three experts to talk about that, including Sean Skinner, the executive vice president and general manager for Isuzu Commercial Truck USA, as well as the president for Isuzu Commercial Truck in Canada. Great having you here today, Sean. Thank you, John, for having me. John Stark is the publisher of Stark's News Service, which really concentrates on covering this part of the market, as well as some others. We'll get into that as well. And Greg Reefer is the president and principal of Reefer Peterbilt, a dealership that sells these kinds of vehicles. I want to thank you guys, too, for being here. Thank you. thank you, John. John, why don't you start us out? I mean, I'm here to learn as much as the audience is in that what are all these different truck categories and classes? Just give us a thumbnail of what we're talking about here. Well, there's eight classes of truck uh, categorized by uh, uh, gross vehicle weight. And uh, classes one and two are considered light duty trucks. So that would be like a Ford F-150, Dodge Ram, Chevy Silverado, that That's kind correct. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then you get into classes three through seven, which spans uh, the pickup and delivery type trucks, so your uh, work type uh, medium duty trucks, which is classes six and seven. And then class eight is your heavy duty over the road haulers as well as construction type trucks. The big semis. The big semis. Okay. But uh, you got to emphasize here that there's an awful lot of construction type trucks that are built and sold in this, in this country, especially Mack trucks. Very interesting. Well, uh, Sean, let's go back and talk about what's Isuzu do in this segment. Wh which one of these classes do you guys play in? We would like to call it light commercial. We play in the class three, class four, and class five segments, which takes you from about 12,000 pounds up to 19,500 pounds GVWR. And our trucks are more vocationally driven, where it would be whether you're delivering uh, fish, foods, whatever it may be from a reefer application, dry freight, or sweeper bodies for somebody sweeping. It's a variety of trucks that we have, but all in that class range. Okay, and uh, Greg, what kind of trucks do you sell? We're a Peterbilt truck dealer. We sell class basically six through eight. Over the road uh, construction trucks, vocational trucks, refuge trucks, all different aspects of the truck field. 
I love talking about this because everybody sees a truck every single day that they go outside in all different kinds of trucks. But I don't think the public is as aware of what's going on there as they are, say, with passenger car vehicles. But, John, how's the whole truck segment going, especially this middle segment that uh, both Greg and Sean are involved in? Uh, this, uh, this is one of the years to uh, write home about. Uh, in the middle of an upturn of an economic cycle right now for medium-duty trucks, as well as heavies, but heavies seem to, uh, to uh, lead uh, the uh, mid-sized truck business into and out of downturns by about a year. Uh, and uh, the heavy trucks are considered a leading economic indicator. They lead the economy into and out of downturns uh, 8 to 12 months. So you're basically looking at a, a, a extraordinarily good year this year for the medium-duty truck business. So if it's a leading indicator, that would suggest the next 12 months for the American economy is going to be pretty good. That's the way it looks like. But uh, orders for uh, heavy-duty trucks in particular have taken, uh, they've turned soft for the past six months, and that represents two consecutive quarters. That represents a trend, and we'll see what happens here in the last three months of this year and the first three months of next year. That'll be a uh, that'll be a tell Something to keep very an eye telltale on. sign, yes. Okay, Sean, how do you see it from a sales standpoint? Uh, I, we see everything continuing to grow. Our, our segment, which will, again, classify as class three through five, we watch that competitive set closely. Uh, so far this year, it's up about 6.5%. We're forecasting that that should stay pretty steady, and we're thinking anywhere between 6 and 7% by year end. And again, I would say moderate growth for next year. So really, we foresee the segment continue to grow well, and we're having our best year ever in our 31 years here in the U.S. and Canada. This will be our best Isuzu nameplate year ever. That's pretty impressive. Yes. And, and Greg, how about for you guys? Uh, you know what? We've had a record year as a, a dealer this year. Um, I think the Class A truck market's going to be about $280,000. we are looking for a little bit of a downturn, about 240000 next year. Oh, okay. So maybe this leading indicator is showing a sign of softness. Yeah, a little bit, but a lot of it goes by the housing market, uh, new home builds. Uh, the construction's been going real good. So. Uh, the automotive market's been real good, so it all takes trucks to build it all. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I was going to say, I think one of the things that's interesting in the segment, and John may be able to clarify this a little better, because we don't track Class A quite as much, but when you look at the medium-duty segment, there continues to be growth there. It's interesting that in Class 8, they've seen a little bit more softness in that than we've really seen in what I'm going to call the medium-duty arena. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's many reasons we probably won't get into today about that. But it is interesting that when you look at the commercial truck segment, Class 8 has shown a little bit of softness in comparison to more of what I'll classify as the medium-duty arena. John, why is that? Well, I think that, um, well, first of all, you have to define the medium-duty truck business and heavy duties. Um, when you talk about North America, are you referring to the U.S., Canada, Mexico, or U.S. and Canada? Uh, PACCAR, for example, to their credit, they look at North America as U.S. and Canada. Other co uh, companies include Mexico and others don't. Others just include the United States. And so if, if you define that, North American market as being uh, U.S., Canada, and Mexico, the NAFTA area. And, uh, and if you define medium-duty trucks as classes three through seven, some companies look at three to five, others look at five, six, and seven. It depends upon the markets they service. Um, but if you look at the entire medium-duty truck business, yeah, I mean, the factories are operating, gosh, I mean, at uh, almost 92% capacity. 92% capacity. Everybody's making money at that. Everybody's level. making money at that high-use capacity <laughs> use. 
For heavy duty trucks, you're looking at 82.9, we're basically 83% capacity use, which is extraordinary. Last year, the entire year for 2014, medium duty truck capacity use was 89.5, and then the heavy duty truck uh, capacity use was 78.6. So everybody is participating in this recovery. But the softness is starting to occur in the heavy duty truck business. It, uh, it indicates that the industry in that segment is at a peak. When it starts to soften substantially, we, nobody knows, but I would think that at the end of the first quarter of next year, you'll see some softness and production schedules be cut back as a result of that. But the medium duty truck business trails the heavy duty truck business. So you're looking at another good year for uh, the medium duty truck business as, as, as a whole. And Greg, who buys these trucks, the medium duty ones? Uh, the medium duty, we, we usually see a lot of manufacturing buying those. Um, the uh, independents uh, uh, do a little bit. The smaller get their product to the stores, that type of uh, people. Uh, smaller vendors do in the medium duty. And I, so I'm completely unfamiliar with this end of the business. So you, you go in and buy a truck just like buying a car, or what are the differences? Yeah, well, you know, the over-the-road trucks, um, what we're seeing is the, the smaller companies are getting eaten up by the larger companies now. So there's uh, uh, less companies, but they're getting larger. Um, same with the, the companies with the uh, construction companies, the vocational business. They're all getting eaten up by larger companies now. And price-wise, what does a medium-duty truck cost? I know that's a very open-ended question because there's all different <laughs> kinds of configurations, but right. on average. Um, about uh, an over-the-road truck with the sleeper on it, we're seeing about $150,000, $160,000. So that would be a Class 8 big size. Class 8 truck, over-the-road type truck. 150000 or so, that's, you're saying? That's yeah. correct. Vocational trucks that we see in uh, Michigan with the, the gravel trains, about one hundred fifty, hundred sixty thousand. dollars $160,000. Uh, we got into uh, some of the other markets. We're seeing them go up to 200000 depending on uh, what, what kind of equipment goes on the back of the truck. Each truck, John, is a custom-built vehicle with us. There's uh, over 30,000 different options at, on these big trucks. So That's amazing. Wheelbase is up mm -hmm. to one inch uh, is what we can do with them. So axles and different sleepers, so a lot of different configurations there. Mm -hmm. And the important thing to remember, too, I believe, is this. You got uh, classes one and two trucks, your you know, pickup truck, uh, pickup trucks and, you know, minivans and stuff like that. That's consumer-driven market. You get into the commercial business, which is three through eight, that's basically capital equipment. So going to a bank to get a loan to buy a piece of equipment, uh, the interest rates are different than they are for consumers. And so then uh, there's different criteria that must be met uh, to obtain a loan to buy a truck. So it's harder to buy one of these commercial vehicles than it is a private passenger vehicle? Yeah. But the credit, since the last recession, the credit uh, worthiness uh, of these companies uh, by banks has loosened up considerably. Right. Hence the record sales. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, Sean, in, in your end of what you guys are selling at Isuzu, right. rough prices, what do we, just to give everybody an idea of the kind of outlays that go for these trucks. Again, it can be something as simple as a dry freight, you know, van body that would, you know, be a simple application that you probably have a truck that's, you know, $40,000, maybe a little bit more. 
Uh, you can get into some pretty elaborate applications. Like I mentioned earlier, there's sweeper buys that can be put on. We sell a lot of stuff to airports, ground support equipment, and that can be very sophisticated. And just the application on the back can be $150,000. So it, it is interesting when you start to look at it. Sometimes the truck is the most expensive component of their purchase, and sometimes it's a fraction of the price of the, uh, of the purchase. So it, uh, you know, I told you earlier, it's, it's jokingly, we sometimes say, our customers don't love trucks. It's a necessary part of their business. And it's just a tool in the toolbox. So um, there's often times where they come in and they're more interested in the application that they have to put on than the truck that's going to go underneath it. But you try and you know try and make sure you give them the best package. But it can certainly vary, John, from what I would call a very reasonable price to a very expensive <laughs> price, you know, depending on the sophistication of the application. Talking about the, the sales, maybe softening a little bit in, in the heavy end too. Uh, I know that in the past when there's been upgrades for pollution equipment, you know, to reduce the emissions of the engines, it can be a substantial increase in cost. And we've seen companies rush in to buy the old trucks before the price increase comes through. Are we seeing anything like that right now or are you anticipating that in the near future? Uh, you know what? We, we saw it when the new emissions came out. The new emissions we've seen has increased the price of the trucks $35,000, $40,000 in the last few years. Wow, I had no idea. Yes, yes. It's, I, uh, I thought it might be eight or $10,000. You're, you're saying up 30000 in north? Yes, <sighs> yes. And uh, we, we're starting to see alternative fuels come into the trucking industry now. LPG, CNG, compressed natural gas and propane, that, that sort of thing? That is correct, yes. Mm -hmm. How's that going? I, I, I mean, I, because there's not a whole lot of infrastructure out there to go fill up the tank for your truck for propane or natural gas, is there? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest problem with it, but they're starting to get the infrastructure now. Right here in Detroit, Chrysler's putting in their own station, and uh, uh, they're starting to turn some of their fleet over for it. And they are seeing the paybacks with it. Now, if you go, you know, reverse back uh, three, four years ago when gasoline prices were at $4 a gallon or even higher, there was a lot of interest in natural gas and propane. Now, you know, gas prices are almost half of that nationally. Is there still as much interest in CNG and LPG? Yes, there is. Uh, from what I understand, the CNG price goes down with the gasoline and the diesel prices also. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that they're even getting into this for emissions reasons, not just to save some money at the pump. That's correct. That's correct. There's uh, it's been some very challenging moments with the new emissions and uh, all the sensors and everything. Uh, another thing that we're seeing now is uh, telematics now. So when there is a problem, the lights go on. If there is a problem with some sensors or that type of thing, it sends a signal, and now it goes right to the manufacturers. They can notify the owners to get the trucks in, this type of thing. We see it uh, on all our Peterbilt trucks as of July 1st. It's standard on all our trucks now. Hmm. And uh, Sean, same same thing. Uh, in, uh, I, I guess yes. In some ways, uh, probably we've probably seen a little bit of a softening in the CNG and LPG arena with the price of fuel. Like you were saying, uh, when the price of uh, a gallon of uh, gas was quite high, you know, in the four dollar range, um, there seemed to be an increased amount of interest in alternative fuels. Um, and that seems to have waned a little bit, but one of the things, at least at the medium duty level, but one of the things that uh, I definitely have in common with Greg that we've seen is that when there was, you know, the 2010 EPA where we added not only DPF but SCR, 
there was a lot of what I'm going to call non-mature technology that all of us in the industry had to put on these trucks. And everybody battled with what you, the quality. And it wasn't because of the fact there was an intent to try and make it as good as they could. It was non-mature technologies. And so you had some people deterred from buying diesel again because they had had that bad experience. And so they were looking for things like CNG or gasoline. And we've seen our gas truck sales grow as a byproduct of that because people wanted lower initial cost and in some cases making sure that the vehicle operated properly. I think most of the manufacturers have done a really good job of now getting a better handle on these technologies and as he was saying uh, telematics have really kind of changed from just giving feedback on where the truck is going, geofencing and uh, miles per gallon and those types of things where the OEMs are now finding ways that we can be more proactive in utilizing the data from the telematics to identify problems with the vehicle so it, it enhances the owner experience and I think uh, you know ourselves included as Susan amongst others that's what they're looking at to make sure as you put more technology into these vehicles how do you ensure the ownership experience is as good as it can be because to people who are using our trucks it's all about minimizing downtime you've got to keep that truck earning revenue for them it's not like you're driving it to go to work every day it is your work every day and if it's off the road it's costing you dollars so we have to make sure that as an industry we get them to the point where um, you have as much uptime as possible and we like to think we do it better than anybody else but everybody else wants to you know feel the same way but I think that you'll see the industry in general moving in that direction where we use the technology to help improve that ownership experience and through like things like the telematics uh, that's where I really see the future of that going. I wasn't aware that if there's a problem on a truck, it will actually beam the information to the OEM, the, the manufacturer. Do you get that kind of information? Some of the Class 8 are doing it, and the medium duty has been probably just a, a little bit behind, but we are getting to the point where we're doing some trials with that now where it's more on trying to better understand uh, not only just beaming the, the failure code, but also what happened before that so you can get better at diagnosing it or being proactive and saying rather than it becoming a repair that's mandatory you go in it's scheduled maintenance mm -hmm. so it makes it easier for the customer to schedule it if they have a few days to do it so as we can learn more about the behavior of the vehicle and the uh, types of things that it triggers before the actual failure occurs we get better anticipating that we can come become more proactive so that's really where you see telematics I think moving in the future to enhance that experience for the owner of the vehicle. John, should we be on the lookout for future emissions regulations? What do you know of what's coming down the pike here? Well, the last uh, set of uh, diesel engine uh, regulations uh, prompted the uh, redesign of the entire engine. And this is why you saw companies that, uh, on an average, they invested about $2 billion each to meet these standards. In the prior emission standards that they had to meet, uh, basically they were using add-on equipment. So it wasn't that costly, but this last go-around was very costly. And I would suspect that the engine emissions that are coming up, the more stringent ones, uh, since the major investments already been made, that'll be add-on equipment, so the cost increases to the uh, trucking fleets will not be that substantial, I don't believe. And it shouldn't affect industry demand. Okay. Do, do you guys see it that way, too? Or? Um, you know what, I think what's interesting where we're going, we've really maximized what we can do with exhaust after treatment. Really we're the next round for 2000, well really we're starting 2016 is going to be greenhouse gas. Phase two of that will be 2020-21 time frame. So what they're really focusing on now is not so much the NOx and particulate matter, but it is going to be based on better fuel kind by reducing the greenhouse gases. And so there will be technologies that are required. I don't see them being as at least radical as what we've had to have 
have with the after treatment of the exhaust on the diesels. Uh, Greg, you probably agree on that, I would guess. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, you know, some of the things are going to start learning how to use, uh, you know, the uh, variable geometry turbos. We're going to start using heat recovery systems. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of automated manual transmissions coming into it uh, uh, for fuel mileage. So it's, uh, it's go all good stuff. It's definitely going upwards. John, before the show, you were talking about the, the noiseless truck. Yes. I, I, was that the term? I, I think you used to explain yes. that and where that might be taking the trucking uh, industry. Well, um, PECCAR uh, produces uh, Kenworth and Peterbilt trucks, and they also produce DAF trucks over in Europe and the Netherlands. And uh, they're a major manufacturer of trucks over in the in, uh, DAF is over in uh, Europe. And they are testing on city streets, and I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I think the location is uh, somewhere in the Netherlands. Um, they're doing city street tests of noiseless trucks. No noise. Presumably so running on electric power then. Presumably, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. This is, this, this is uh, uh, they just revealed this, uh, DAFT did maybe three, four months ago. So this is in its infancy test runs. And... Uh, uh, they're doing this in the dead of night, driving the truck around, and hopefully it doesn't wake up anybody. About it. <laughs> Is that the test? If it wakes somebody up, it yeah. fails, right? Or they're doing it at night to hide it from their competitors. <laughs> it could be. But, you know, but uh, you get back to this market here in the United States. I mean, this is such a robust market right now. It's unbelievable. And you got, now you've got a, a company like General Motors that's going to be stepping back into the medium-duty truck business after exiting it. You know, during bankruptcy proceedings, you know, back in what, 2008 or nine, nine something yeah. of 2009, nine, they yeah. got out of the business. Yeah, and uh, they're coming back into this business in a different way, and they're hooking up with Isuzu. And I would be interested to hear what your take might be <laughs> on, uh, on what's expected out of Isuzu in this uh, GM venture. I'll have to tread lightly on this one, I think. But, uh, you know, I think we and I talked a little earlier about it. Uh, for GM, really wanting to get back into the medium-duty arena because I think they see the, the uh, possibilities for growth there like we all do uh, with what's going on in the marketplace. And for us, being a company that is, you know, globally based, and the uh, emissions regulations and safety regulations in the U.S. being very unique. Uh, it, you know, Canada and the U.S. are really the only ones that adopt like EPA 10 and where we're going with greenhouse gases. For us to have a partner that we can look forward to technologies and help us with that, it certainly puts us in a better position too. So I think one that works well for both of us, that some of their Chevrolet dealers will be uh, selling the Suzu product uh, badged as uh, Chevrolet. And uh, for us longer term, I think it helps fortify uh, our potential for the long term in this marketplace because of the expense and, you know, and the technologies that will be required in order to compete here well into the future. As we talked about, I mean, we're just now getting the first level of greenhouse gas. One, come 2020-21, it's going to become even more stringent. And I think that along with that, you're going to see an increasing number of safety regulations come, uh, you know, start to find their way into the medium-duty and heavy-duty truck industry. So it's got to be good to have GM as a partner because they're buying your trucks. But in the marketplace, they're a competitor as well, even though they're buying the trucks from you. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's one of those things. It's kind of a unique relationship that in many ways you, you work together, but you also compete. And uh, I look at it much like you look at most pro, uh, pro sporting teams. Uh, you know, they, they share a lot of information. There's a lot of talk going back and forth. But when they're on the field of play, you know, it's competition just as it normally would be. So uh, in many ways, I see it similar to that. Well, I know one of the reasons why GM got back into it is not just because it's a growing segment, but what I was told is when fleet buyers buy a medium-duty truck, they buy, to use the industry jargon, adjacencies. Yes. 
So they might say, yeah, you know, I'll take one of those medium duty trucks and give me three or four pickups and I'll take a couple of those vans. And, and so you walk away as an automaker with selling six vehicles, not just one. And, and that's another important reason why they got into it. Yeah, and I know their dealers, uh, you know, because we were at once affiliated with a joint venture with them here in the commercial truck arena. And I know that their dealers, when that went away, they were pretty vocal about the fact that they really wanted that back. And I think some of their bigger competitors have that, and uh, it would make logical sense that that would be something that they would push for, yes. Greg, is that an area that you wish GM was not getting back into? Are they competitors at your level? Uh, GM, we're born to the larger trucks. Uh, being in Michigan here, though, when uh, Ford and GM were in the heavy truck market, they were big competitors. But uh, uh, the Peterbilt truck is, is on its own. You know, Ford's got some heavy truck operations in Brazil and China. You, you think they ever might come back to the U.S. market? I think the European market's a little bit different than the North American market. John, what do you think? Hey, would it make sense for a General Motors and a Ford to get back into the big rigs? Uh, I know that the uh, when Ford sold their heavy-duty truck business to Freightliner, going back, what, 15 years ago, there was a 10-year agreement not to re-enter the business and to compete uh, with Freightliner. Um, that was the Sterling Trucks, they called it. And uh, I know that uh, Ford is thinking about it. Very interesting, thinking, thinking about it. About it. Hmm. It's a robust market. It's a high profit margins on heavy-duty trucks. Very high. You know, it's, uh, the margins on medium duties are less than they are in heavies. And most of the heavies are custom-built trucks and... Uh, and, and uh, it's a uh, uh, Ford is looking to get in to vertically integrate the entire commercial truck business, conventional type trucks, and um, um, cab over engine type medium duty trucks as well as conventional type heavy duty trucks. Uh, the cab over type heavy duty trucks, the market has just disappeared. Maybe one percent of the market anymore is cab over engine, and that's nothing for heavy duty trucks. Mm -hmm. And Ford does have a. Uh, uh, a uh, cab over engine type truck that they used to sell here in the United States and they exported it down to the machine tools and everything went down to Brazil. And they're the still Ford Cargo, yeah, wasn't they're it? Still yeah. looking at it down there. Actually, a handsome looking truck, if yeah. I may say so myself. <laughs> it was well designed. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think you're going to see some increased competition. But w along with increased competition comes the need for capacity to build the trucks. That's the first thing you got to look at. If you don't have the capacity in place and you're dreaming, uh, unless you want to get into uh, joint venturing uh, uh, into different market segments like uh, GM has done with Navistar uh, in the conventional type medium-duty truck business to get back into that area of the mid-sized truck business. They went with Nissan with the small vans, sourcing them from Mexico, and then they went with, now they're going with Isuzu as well uh, for the cab over engine type vehicles. Uh, it's uh, 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 The better the market gets, the more companies are looking to enter the market. Which is why we're doing this show today. <laughs> because I don't think that uh, the general public and even a lot of people in the automotive industry are aware of, certainly in North America, how healthy this truck segment yeah. is. Profit <laughs> margins looking good too. So with that, I'm afraid we're gonna have to wrap this up. Uh, we're gonna have to do another show on this another time for sure because we only, uh, you know, just scrape the surface here. So I want to thank you all. Sean Skinner from Isuzu, John Stark from Stark's News Service, Greg Reefer from Reefer Peterbilt. Awesome discussion, guys. I learned a lot here.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. And I hope that you find this show very interesting and also informative of learning what this great automotive industry is all about. Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by AutoLine is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco, pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at deloitte.com backslash US backslash automotive.